You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. It just continues. My, oh, my. Rapino sends it in low. Go, U.S. It's Sue Bird's building. You bet. She is unconscious right now. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. It's good to be back here after sort of a two-week uh, sort of hiatus with the All-Star break and the All-Star week itself, uh, and then this 10-game homestand. It's been it's been a long past two weeks. It's been a long past two weeks, but it's good to see you here again. Uh, oops. Here for uh, another week of Seattle sports. I mean, you know, the things have kind of slowed down in terms of the totality of everything. I mean, the Seahawks are kind of in the off season. They did unleash their uh, their throwback jerseys, though, which look incredible. Uh, and they've got a whole little cool installation down at the pro shop at Lumen Field. I digress. Uh, the Mariners are in a very interesting place right now, and we'll certainly get to that first. The Sounders, yeah, it's a sore subject in a lot of ways. The Storm, also a sore subject as they're on a nine-game losing streak. Uh, the Kraken got a big deal done. The Rain uh, are still sort of in their World Cup break. We'll get back to action this upcoming week, but, you know, this the the city of Seattle in summer continues to roll on. It's actually kind of cold today. It was a little bit rainy, so uh, I've been getting – my tan's been coming back in, but the farmer's tan you'd see on me is horrible, so we're wearing a hoodie, which is a good thing. Anyway, we'll move straight into uh, the Mariners segment of the show here as, again, the Seahawks really hasn't much been going on uh, outside of the throwback jerseys, the 90s-themed throwback jerseys that will be wearing on October 29th, which is week eight against the Cleveland Browns here in Seattle. Uh, our Mariners, though, yeah, yeah. it continued a 10-game homestand uh, that started right after the All-Star break, two days, in fact, after All-Star week ended here in Seattle. So T-Mobile Park has been busy for the past two weeks. We'll get into it here with a four-game series against the Minnesota Twins. On the 17th, the Mariners would win that game to open up the series 7-6. to six. We'll put up our photo of the game here by our photographer, Brian Saldana. Uh, player of the game number one, left fielder Jared Kalnick. Kalnick, two hits, one runs, and two RBI. One runs, one run, and two RBIs on the day. And then our second player of the game, who is pictured in our photo of the game here, third base a Eugenio Suarez Eugenio two hits one run and two RBIs uh, hits a homer that day we'll continue with the homers here as we go back to it July 18th versus the Twins in the second game of the series not so good um, the Mariners would lose that one three to ten our play of the game third baseman a Eugenio Suarez uh, one hit one run and two RBIs Gino hits another homer on that day but our photo here our photo of the game by Chris Liu kind of encapsulates <laughs> how that game went I mean the three runs is fine but you give up 10, a uh, really big struggle there. And Teoscar Hernandez kind of embodies the disappointment after that loss there. Uh, in game three of the series, as the Mariners were trying to uh, bounce back, they were unable to do so, losing this one three to six. 
uh, on July 19th. Our player of the game, once again, third baseman A. Eugenio Suarez, uh, one hit, one run, and two RBIs on the day. Three homers in three games there for Gino. Our photo of the game here is relief pitcher Devin Sweet. And now you're going to rem- want to remember Sweet's name uh, when we get to the team-related news side of things and we discuss uh, how Devin Sweet made his MLB debut that day. Uh, so just remember the name Devin Sweet. But So the Mariners would go down 2-1 to one in that series, uh, looking to tie things up in the fourth and final game of it. Uh, on July 20th, which is a day game, they would be able to do so uh, in a five to nothing shutout win over the Twins, um, mostly led by starting pitcher George Kirby, who is our photo of the game here uh, by Brian Saldana. Uh, Kirby uh, would not our listed player of the game here, but he, he essentially that win doesn't happen like that without him. Uh, our listed player of the game, right fielder Teoscar Hernandez, two hits, one run, and two RBIs on the day. But Kirby. Uh, had a really excellent outing there in this one. We'll get to it here for you so I can tell you why. And, you know, since he's our photo of the game here, it makes perfect sense. Uh, but Kirby goes seven innings, four hits allowed, and no runs allowed, no walks, and 10 strikeouts, uh, doing all of that on 99 pitches. I mean, yeah, just an absolute masterclass by George Kirby there. Um, so he split the series against the Twins, disappointing. Uh Disappointing is a word you could use. Uh, they do lead the AL Central, but that division, I think all of that division is just barely at or under 500. So it's not exactly like a competitive hotbed there in the Central Division of the American League. That would lead us into a three-game set to round out the homestand and take place over the course of the weekend when the Toronto Blue Jays come to town. And, you know, if, you're, if you've been in this city or you're a Mariners fan, you know how that series looks when Toronto and essentially all of Canada come down to watch the Blue Jays play here in Seattle. Um, July 21st, the opening game of that series on Friday night, the Mariners had their City Connect jerseys on. They would win that one 3-2 to two in a really tight back-and-forth sort of battle. Our play of the game and our photo of the game here by Brian Saldana captures it really well. Um, is right fielder Teoscar Hernandez. Teo, three hits on the day uh, and one RBI. That RBI would be on a walk-off base hit in the bottom of the ninth that goes over the right fielder's head and off the wall. Uh, to score the game-winning run here. You can see that photo really captures how Teo is feeling after that. Uh, it's great to see. That one was a lot of fun, big game energy. The Mariners pick up their second win in the City Connect jerseys. Uh, we go over here to the second game of the series, July 26th versus the Blue Jays. Uh, the first of two, back, well, back-to-back kind of ruins it, uh, two consecutive day games. Um, the Mariners would win that one in a high-scoring affair, 9-8. to eight. Our play of the game catcher Cal Raleigh, two hits, two runs, and two RBIs on the day, a multi-homer day in six career games against the Blue Jays. Uh, to that point, Cal Raleigh had hit six homers against Toronto, so uh, it kind of makes the comments by manager John Schneider for the Blue Jays a little silly uh, when he said that it's not hard to pitch to Cal Raleigh. Um, and you can see in this photo of the game here by Liv Lyons, uh, Cal's getting doused uh, in the water bucket by Ty France. We go here to the final game of the series. The Mariners did look to get the sweep over Toronto, which would be a hard feat in and of itself. Uh, they would be able to, unable to do so. 
Losing that one on July 23rd, three to four. Our player of the game designated hitter Mike Ford. Fordo, one hit, one run, and two RBI. The solo shot hits the hit here cafe and represents two of the three runs that the Mariners uh, collect on this day. It's the second time this past week that Ford has hit the hit here cafe with a home run. You can see our photo of the game here by Sage Zipetto. Um, oh, did I skip? Oh, no, I talked about Devin Sweet. Um, you can see Brian Wu here. Uh, kind of looking up after one of his innings. So uh, we'll get in before we get into the general discussion about those past seven games, we'll look here at our player of the week. I went with JP, uh, led the team over the past seven games in batting average. So, uh, well, this is the last six games. Oops. Uh, seven hits, three runs, one double, two RBIs, two walks, a 304 batting average, a 360 on base percentage, only a 348 slugging, but Typically, we don't know JP for his slugging ability uh, to create a 708 OPS. Mike Ford had a great OPS, uh, higher than JP and sort of Gino, but uh, JP led the team in batting average, uh, so I just figured that looked better um, and kind of was better, arguably, uh, for what Seattle needs with their hitting struggles. So we're back here again. I know the last few episodes that we have had, even before the two-week hiatus, um, talk heavily about the Mariners hitting and that still remains the case as we look here you know we go back through the series seven to six win over the twins good uh three to ten loss the pitching wasn't there but even the offense wasn't there and the, that July 19th game against the twins three runs they had the opportunity to kind of do something there in the bottom of the ninth unable to do so uh the last game of the series against the twins five to nothing sure uh even the the series opener against the Blue Jays where you just get three runs. Not so great. Um, game two against the Blue Jays, big. I mean, they had a three run, three homer third inning uh, in this game on the 22nd where Cal Raleigh, Dylan Moore went back to back. And then a few batters later, Julio hit a solo homer. Uh, so that was sure. But again, you don't want to be dependent on the long ball. So, I mean, this, this is a very interesting uh past homestand for the Mariners they go five and five over the past 10 games in that homestand um they they take the series win over the Blue Jays but considering the sort of ground that the Mariners need to make up if they want to put themselves back in a playoff position you might have needed to sweep them and you know the Mariners left nine runners on base was it nine Yep, nine runners on base in that uh, series finale to the Blue Jays. Uh, just can't drive people in. And, I mean, even to a point, you know, the Mariners did have, in the eighth, they had uh, some opportunity there. No, that's in the ninth. Um, they had two runners on. As Moore got hit by a pitch, and Colton Wong walked. Uh, J.P. Crawford, this one was interesting. This is kind of what I was getting to. J.P. Uh, laid down a sacrifice bunt to move both Moore and Wong over. But J.P. Crawford has been pretty good um, in high leverage situations for the Mariners. So it was kind of puzzling to not see him swing the bat there. Uh, he's got a slash line of 318, 405, and 476 in those high leverage situations. 318 in high leverage is excellent. So I don't know why either he decided, I don't think he would have decided, to drop the bunt down or he was told to lay down the bunt. I would rather just trust JP to swing the bat in that situation. And then Julio struck out right after him to put two outs on. Uh, Julio's got a 153 batting average and a 36.3% uh, K rate in the ninth inning this season, which is not great. Uh, actually really bad. Um, so yeah, that was a little confusing uh, in, in, 
without the context of where you're at in the playoff race, I would normally be happy with just the series win. Knowing that you were that close to getting the sweep, frustrating, yes. But this is a Toronto team that's good. You know, they've got a lot of talent offensively. And you were able to get after their pitchers to an extent. But if we look at the wild card race here, the three teams that currently sit in the wild card are the Rays, the Astros, who you're trying to fight for uh, in the division for the second um, wild, um, second spot in the division, let alone the second wild card. And then the Blue Jays, this Blue Jays team that you just played. So, I mean, you can kind of understand why that was so important. Then you've got ground to make up in front of you because the Red Sox and the Yankees also sit in front of you for those wild card spots. They're both two games behind. And the Angels, uh, the Angels are four games out of that spot. And because you lost yesterday, you dropped down a peg for them, and now you're in fourth in the division. So you can see you can't really afford to have these games that are just close, and you just get close enough, but you can't get over the hump. Time's running out. The trade deadline is on August 1st. Now, it's really going to we, – we looked at it in an article that we did in terms of um, – how difficult this trade deadline is going to be because the Mariners don't necessarily have a lot of trade ready prospects to move. Emerson Hancock, you know, sticks out amongst uh, the current farm system, but a lot of the farm system that the Mariners have right now, because of the trades that they made for Eugenio and Winker at the time, as well as Luis Castillo, they shipped out a bunch of your guys that were going to be ready for a potential trade package. You're trying to grow guys, you know, like Gabby Gonzalez, like Cole Young, like Harry Ford, you know, who are in your farm system right now and are in the top 100. You know, uh, you've, you've got those young pitchers in Bryce Miller and Brian Wu, too. But do you really want to move out, you know, move those pitchers this season uh, when you're already hurting for starting pitching depth? Probably not. Uh, and then even besides that, you know, obviously – People have their respective feelings about different Mariners in the starting lineup. But what position are you upgrading? Where are you going to upgrade, first of all? I mean, second base sticks out, obviously. But, you know, and and I would like a, 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 a quote-unquote better backup catcher. But where, where are you going to get that? And what are you going to give up? So you've got to look at those aspects. Where are you going to look at? And what are you going to give up? What are you willing to give up? Because the Mariners have front office has talked often about how they don't want to just trade for a rental for the season. They want to be able to make a trade that's going to make them better for the next few years, alone, including this year. So the trade deadline is not that simple to just go and make a move. It's really not. You know, I know Jerry Depoto's pulled things out with trades before, but it's going to be difficult. You know, that... Uh, trade deadline late day is August 1st, Tuesday, August 1st at 3 p.m. Pacific time. The Mariners play later the day at 6 o'clock against the Red Sox here uh, at T-Mobile Park. So it's going to be interesting to see if they get anything done. Um, but it's it's the Mariners are in a tough situation, and they don't really have themselves to blame, whether that be the moves that were made in the offseason or how bad this offense is in terms of consistency, you know, uh, I talked about it before we had the hiatus that any sort of change that's going to be made with this Mariners offense is going to be internal. It's going to have to be internal. And it, it <laughs> in the most beautifully Mariners way possible, it's been inconsistent, the change that we've seen. So <sighs> that's that. That's, that's that with this past week of games. Um, 
We'll look over here at injury-related news and roster moves. On the 16th, the team reinstated right-handed pitcher Bryce Miller from the 15-day injured list with a right middle finger blister. As a resulting move, the team optioned right-handed pitcher Matt Festa to AAA Tacoma with the Rainiers uh, in order to make up that roster spot. On the 19th, the team selected right-handed pitcher Prelander Baroa, Devin Sweet from the Arkansas Travelers. Uh, Baroa is exciting. He's got high velocity kind of guy. He's the Mariners' 13th ranked prospect by MLB.com. Um, he was somebody that some were really excited about this spring training. But Devin Sweet, who I mentioned, and we'll go back to this photo by Sage here um, so we can tell this story. Uh, when Sweet appeared in his MLB debut back on July 19th, he became the first NC Central product in American slash National League history and the second in Major League history, joining Bun Hayes, uh, who appeared back in 62 games uh, with 39 starts in the Negro Leagues from 1928 to 35. So uh, some history there with Devin Sweet, and that was really cool to see. Uh, just unfortunate that, you know, it kind of had to be rushed because of things like injuries there uh, needing to keep the bullpen fresh. But we'll continue on with the options that day on July 19th uh, as a resulting move to bringing up Prelander and Devin. Uh, the Mariners optioned right-handed pitcher Ty Adcock and Isaiah Campbell to the AA Arkansas Travelers. Uh, the big news out of them, well, the one of the big pieces of news out of the Mariners uh, this past week was that on July 20th, it was announced that left fielder Jared Kalnick, um, who is pictured here in this photo by Liv Lyons, was placed on the 10-day injured list with a left foot fracture. Uh, he fractured his foot, kicking a water cooler after striking out in the ninth inning of a loss to the Twins. Uh, on July 19th, that's what I mentioned, you know, the Twins um, and the Mariners, there was an opportunity there to potentially get a win. So, you know, people had a lot of thoughts about this, and that's fine. You know, social media, people are going to have thoughts. In the world, real world, people are going to have thoughts. Even uh, I know that some of the folks who work in sports journalism, they get letters um, from fans who have thoughts uh, that go to their respective newspaper uh, offices. So, um I want to say this about Jared Kalnick and this injury here because it's very difficult, obviously, to process uh, for him, especially. I don't really care uh, how the negative folks feel. You know, Jared has a lot of heart. He's always had a lot of heart in what he does. Uh, and that's obvious. You know, people talk about his his attitude and his emotions. Yes, yes, yes. That's been a big topic of discussion since he got called up to the major league level. But, you know, as someone who is at most to all of these Mariners home games and covers this team consistently as it's what we're doing here. Um, Jared's been a lot better this season about um, his emotions and things like that and keeping them in control. He's been a lot better about it. You know, his, he's obviously an intense guy when it comes to that and how competitive that he is, but he's been a lot better about controlling it. So when I wake up, and I find this news out and I see all these social media reactions calling him an idiot and calling him uh, include bad words. I think it's stupid, quite honestly, you know, to, to judge somebody on that one instance when for the large part of this season, not only has he been a lot better about his emotions, he's been one of the most valuable Mariners in total. You know, he's second in WRC plus, which is a big uh, offensive stat for those who are not aware uh, on the offensive side of the ball. Yes, he's kind of struggled since having that hot start, but he has been a much better player uh, in terms of, you know, off the field and how he controls his emotions and as a teammate 
uh, let alone at the plate or in the outfield. You know, he's also uh, third on the team in war behind George Kirby and J.P. Crawford, who leads the team. So in terms of value, uh, yeah, this is big, you know. And yes, he's 23. Well, I think he's 24 now, 24 years old. So he hasn't hit his baseball prime yet. And yes, he is young. And yes, it's a mistake. It's something that he openly admitted. But I think that it's foolish to sit here and just criticize the guy, you know, when it's obvious that he's been not only a major factor on this Mariners team, he's going to be a major factor for years to come. And I think the criticism is a bit annoying, you know, because if you had really improved on an area in your life and you have one mistake and slip up and it's and a mistake that gets amplified, how would you like it if you just got criticized <laughs> to no end? You know, so I think it's ridiculous, and that's my take on the whole Jared Kelnick situation um, with injuries and such related to that. So uh, we go over here to uh, team-related news outside of the injury here. Uh, on the 20th of July, the team recalled uh, outfielder Cade Marlowe as a result um, to the Jared Kelnick injury. Uh, Marlowe started in left field the day of his call-up, was batting uh, 255 batting average with 52 runs scored, 13 doubles, 6 triples, 1 homer, 47 RBIs, and 25 stolen bases with 32 walks while reaching base at a 332 clip and slugging 461 with a 793 OPS in 63 games with the Tacoma Rainiers this season. Uh, since June 16th, he's hit, well, at the time of this call-up, he had hit safely in 22 of the last 24 games uh, with a 313 batting average with four doubles, seven homers, 17 RBIs, 17 walks, and 14 stolen bases with a 1.020 OPS during that span. Um, so it was really cool to see Cade Marlowe make his MLB debut. I know he's somebody that um, some folks had wanted to see uh at the big league level, especially with the way that the offense has struggled. Uh, but I, I felt that he wasn't ready yet just because the PCL wasn't necessarily the best situation um, for hitters at the time, just because there's not necessarily a lot of top pitching talent. Um, one second. Got some important stuff going on. Oh, shoot. Sorry. Okay. It's actually, long story short, uh, I'll, I'll say it on the show. Um, our Twitter got suspended. Uh, we're not sure why. So we're working the best I can through that. It's also why I have been running our social tab here to follow us on other socials, uh, whether that be Instagram, Facebook, if you so wish, uh, threads and such. And obviously our YouTube remains active. Um, well, I'll also put up our website here where you can see all the content that we're doing as well, in addition to the Converge um, Converge channels. So that's what's that. I've, I've got people who are um, helping uh, me right now, and I'm like, I'm on the show. So we're trying to run it, uh, but that's what's going on. I apologize for the delayed break. Uh, but really cool to see Cade Marlowe make his MLB debut, uh, similar to Sweet and uh, Preylander, you know, and Isaiah Campbell as well, probably a little quicker than they would have liked uh, or, or are necessarily ready for. But Sometimes, you know, trial by fire helps people out and, and helps them grow into greater players. So 
excuse me, we're going to look here uh, ahead at the upcoming situation uh, for the Mariners, their upcoming road trip uh, that will lead right into the trade deadline. Um, the Mariners sit at a 50-win, 49-loss record, fourth in the American League West. Uh, looking ahead, they will be facing off against these twins again that they just played in a four-game series. Uh, starting tonight at 4.40 p.m. Pacific time, July 24th at the Twins. Tomorrow's game, well, all of these games are actually at 4.40 p.m. July 24th, 25th, uh, and 26th are all 4.40 p.m. starts over there at Target Field. Um, we look over here to the next series, which is the Diamondback series. Seattle will go down to Arizona and battle the Diamondbacks for the first time this year, as well as uh, Seattle native Corbin Carroll, who is uh, a Rookie of the Year candidate, will probably win Rookie of the Year and has been in the MVP conversation as well. So the first game of that series is July 28th um, at 6.40 p.m. Pacific time. July 29th is a 5.10 p.m. Pacific time start with July 30th, uh, to round out the series against the Diamondbacks down in Arizona and the road trip is a 1-10 Pacific time start. Um, very quickly, since I'm trying to deal with this Twitter situation, we're going to go to a short break here uh, and look back at the reconciliation tour. Um, so just going to give a quick break so I can deal with that. We'll be right back with the storm segment of the show. Baseball is a beautiful game, especially when played in community. Earlier this summer, Baseball Beyond Borders took a powerful, eye-opening journey through the heart of the South, which included baseball, civil rights, and reconciliation. Our young kings hosted a baseball clinic at Jackson State University in Jackson, Mississippi, and hit the roads of Montgomery, Alabama, by way of the historic Edmund Pettus Bridge to visit the Equal Justice Initiative Museum and Memorial all in an effort to ground our kings in their history and find serenity in the sport they love to preserve the cultural legacy. Join Baseball Beyond Borders on September 27th for the premiere of our film, Reconciliation Tour, at T-Mobile Park's Alice Pavilion from 3 to 5 p.m. Hear from those on the front line as well as special guests as we elevate our promise to bring healing through play. For tickets or to donate, visit BaseballBeyond.org or check our social media platforms. It's always really cool to see, you know, the reconciliation tour, not only just the what was put together itself by Converge, but also that trailer and then to be there for the HBCU Swingman Classic. And I know that we're planning to do a sort of follow-up on some of the players from the roster uh, that were there for that event, you know, uh, because it, it's it's really cool. That'll the All Star Week for MLB will be done in Texas next year with the Rangers at an Arlington, um, and I know that event should just grow and grow as it actually gets closer in terms of geography to the HBCU. So, regardless, uh, we move over here to our Seattle Storm, where the things things get tough. Uh, they were tough entering the All Star break for the Storm, going on that road trip in July. Um, and since the second half has started, things have not quite changed in terms of their fortune. So they began the second half with a matchup at home against the Las Vegas Aces, which arguably the best team in the league. Not arguably. I think they are the best team in the league. Liberty are still figuring their situation out. Um, but we look here to the uh, this game. Uh, Gardjul Lloyd was our player of the game. 
And this this is tough because Jewel was still able to get 12 points in this game. Uh, she had six rebounds and six assists. And because of that versatility on uh, being able to, uh, you know, get the rebounds and get the assists, make that impact off um, of the scoreboard, um, Jewel's efficiency wasn't, wasn't great. Now, we look here at the... Um, our photo of the game by Anthony May. You can see Chelsea Gray's going up here, uh, trying to get in the layup. We've got Jewel Lloyd and Dulce Fancom Mengiadu trying to block it. Uh, a little thing, uh, well, no, I think I should wait till after uh, we get to uh, our discussion because it happened in the Chicago game too. So they lost that one, as you can see here, 63 to 97, 79, pardon me, which is one of the lower point totals that the Aces have put out this year in general. So that's big. That's really big. Uh, we go over here to July 22nd, the second game they played this past week, both of them being at home at Climate Pledge Arena, uh, and the Storm would lose that one, 75 to 90. So you go from holding the best team in the league to one of their lowest point turnouts to giving up 90 points to the sky. Uh, the Storm really struggled on the boards in this game. It's something that they've uh, – I talk about the Mariners hitting and their consistency there. They've struggled with all season long. Um it was the same thing here. I mean, in the first half, the Sky were really able to crash the boards and dominate that aspect of the game, get second chances, uh, and the Storm really didn't have an answer. Uh, uh, once again, our player of the game, Jewel Lloyd, 12 points, four rebounds, two assists, and two steals. Again, that versatility and being able to add in other parts of the statistics is why I went with Jewel there. You can see our photo of the game here by Liz Walter. Uh, Liz, uh, ooh, not Liz. Liz is not in the photo. Jewel Lloyd going up uh, against Courtney Williams there trying to get a bucket. Uh, this one was tough. Yeah, I mean, just being dominated on the boards, it's something that the Storm have not been able to fix all year long. I go to our player of the week, and now I know I just went with Jewel Lloyd for player of the game in both of those games, but Ezie Magbagor has been more efficient uh, as Seattle's second scorer over the past two games. Ezie's had uh, 13 points per game, five rebounds per game, one assist, and one steal per game, uh, and 1.5 blocks per game. Now, we look at Jewel Lloyd um, in those games. You know, it's obviously, as you can see here, I didn't directly say it yet, but the Storm are on a nine-game losing streak. We're getting to, excuse me, uh, historical sort of feats here, which isn't great. I don't like to see that. Um, but it's tough because I know that we talked about this at the beginning of the year. I wanted to have a hot take and say that maybe the storm could put it together and be this ragtag team that gets to the playoffs. That's highly unlikely. Uh, <laughs> they've only won four games, but I also did say, Hey, you're going to want to look at the growth of the individual players in this aspect. Dulce Fanka Mengiato over the course of the road trip was huge as a starter for the storm. Uh, and is really big on the boards, but at the end of the day, you're going to need more on the boards uh, from the entirety of the team itself, not just one player. Uh, Jewel Lloyd has been an MVP, MVP candidate through the, the entirety of the season, and while the Storm haven't been winning, I feel like she should be considered for that, um, You know, which is tough. We'll get to what Jewel did and the general All-Star Week here in a minute, but, uh, ah, yes, with Jewel. So in that Aces game, 
Las Vegas was playing a lot of a box and one defense. Now, if you don't know what that is, which I didn't know what it was actually before uh, this game, I have to admit, uh, it's basically what the the definition of a box and one defense is, is when you take, it's, it's called a junk defense that's used against teams with one great offensive player surrounded by players of quote unquote less offensive talent. Uh, so there's a mix of what it means by junk is there's a bit of off uh, man-to-man defense and zone defense mixed in there. So there's one player who's a chaser who basically follows that great player around for the entire of the game, which would be Joel Lloyd. Um, so you take that and it frustrates. It's supposed to frustrate that great offensive player and put an emphasis on the other offensive players around that one great player to pick up the slack effectively. And outside of Ezzy Magbagor and a couple other players here and there at times, Sammy Whitcomb has been solid off the bench uh, for a good amount of the season. Um, Aside of that, uh, Seattle hasn't gotten a lot of scoring and it really exposed that. And especially with the talent level that the aces have, it's going to kind of emphasize that. And we saw that in this game, you know, 63 points is not a good offensive total to put out in any basketball game, really that's full length. Um, and then that Sky game as well, outside of dominating uh, on the boards, I mean, Jewelloid was relatively ineffective once again. So, I mean, the emphasis for the Storm to find more scoring is big. You know, we look at the starting lineup. Uh, Ivana Dojkic's speed has been great. She's been able to provide a burst of offense. Uh, she's able to stretch that floor a little bit, not only with her her passing as the point guard, but she's well beyond the arc. Jewel Lloyd, we know what kind of score that she can be. Gabby Williams um, back with the team now after the uncertainty of not having her. Uh, her offensive skill set's always kind of been looking to grow and has been limited, but she is able to distribute the ball well. So, you know, that's another thing to watch in terms of individual effort is watching Gabby Williams uh, grow offensively. Dulcie's solid in the paint and that she's kind of a true paint player. Ezzy has been able to, as I talked about, be the second option for the Storm team. Uh, can stretch the floor a little bit, uh, but uh, that's an, an aspect of her game that's growing as well. So as often as the term young team is put on this Storm roster, it's true. You know, there are a lot of players that are working on things that are not necessarily rounded out products, and that's okay. They don't need to win it all this year. It's not like last year where it was Sue Bridge last season. I think that's kind of the point. And I think these learning experiences should only make them better. And linear growth isn't linear. That's the thing. You know, unfortunately, every time this storm team goes out there, they're not going to be able to make this big light bulb over their head. And, you know, they're going to be able to adjust. The storm team throughout the course of the season will plug one hole and another one will open. You know, they'll do better on the boards, but they'll do horrible and fast break. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they'll do better on the fast break, but then their switching will be bad that game. So you see what I mean? That's kind of what's happened all season long. They haven't put all of the puzzle pieces together. They'll put one section together, and then in doing so, one of the other sections will be wiped away. So it is frustrating to see that, right? Because it's like, why are these same issues happening? Um, but it, I, I try to leave that grain of salt in my mind, knowing that these are issues that, you know, they obviously know are taking place. Um, and these these should be learning experiences for the Storm players going forward. So that's my piece on it. Um, as we, I'm trying to see if we could get the statistics on just how bad the Storm team has been. Oh, yeah, they've lost their last nine games. Um, I'm trying to see. Nope. 
didn't list it. Okay. Um, we look over to team related news here. Uh, over the past week, we did have the All Star break. I talked about you know it being the second half now, uh, but since we've been gone, uh, not the song. Um, two three storm players participated in the All Star festivities in the WNBA. So first on July fourteenth, uh, guard and UW alum Sammy Whitcomb came in second place in this year's WNBA three-point contest. Uh, she finished with 28 uh, made bas- 28 points in round one and 22 in round two. Uh, so I, I think in a normal three-point contest, Sammy would have done pretty good. The only problem is she ran into New York Liberty point guard Sabrina Ionescu, who only missed two of her shots in the final round and tallied a 37 points out of a possible 40, which is not only a WNBA record, but it's also a uh, NBA record as well, beating out Steph Curry's uh, best mark in the NBA, uh, which is incredible to see, really. Um, So just tough that uh, Sammy ran into that in her three-point contest. It's the second time, excuse me, that Sammy has ever participated in the three-point contest doing so last year as a member of the Liberty. Uh, we move over here to July 15th, which was the actual All-Star game itself. Uh, if you're not aware, you haven't been following us on the socials, which, again, I will put down here as we're dealing with. Uh, apparently, we got unsuspended. I'm on the air right now, so I don't like looking at my phone, but I'm getting all these people are contacting me, which I dearly appreciate. <laughs> but uh, I apparently, we're fine. So I don't know. Just focus on the other socials uh, that you see on the bottom of your screen here. But on July 15th, Drew Lloyd was named the All-Star Game MVP. She scored 31 points in this game and made 10 three-pointers. Both are WNBA All-Star Game records. Uh, So Drew makes some history as she has continued to do all season long as a member of the Storm uh, and takes home the hardware. just unfortunate that the first games out of the gate after winning that MVP award have not been so stellar. Um, also, the other all-star in this game for the Storm, Ezzy Magbagor, coming off the bench, tallied two points, four rebounds, and two assists in her first ever all-star game. So nice to see Ezzy get that experience um, and the fact that she's only going to grow and grow and continue to get better. So um, I'm just going to keep that running there, honestly. Eh. It's kind of annoying. So uh, the Storm now, after this sort of little two-game homestand out of the All-Star break, will head out on a three-game road trip that's going to be tough. And it starts tough. Um, they sit at a four wins, 18 loss record, which is good for dead last in the league and dead last in the Western Conference. Uh, looking ahead, their next game is on Tuesday, tomorrow, uh, July 25th at the New York Liberty out in Brooklyn uh, with a 4 p.m. Pacific time tip off. That game will be on ESPN three. Uh, and then we go over here to July 28th. The storm will get a rematch against that uh, um, Chicago sky team. That game will have a tip off time of 5 p.m. Pacific time uh, as the storm are looking to do better on the boards against the sky team. Uh, you know, a sky team that also hasn't really been that great either necessarily um but i'm not not like the stormer this you know juggernaut of a team either that game will be on ion uh ion and then the last game of the road trip july 30th on sunday is at the indiana fever who arguably the second worst team in the league and that game will tip off at 1 p.m pacific time that'll be on espn3 and amazon prime video if you are in the state of washington so Three-game road trip, uh, you're obviously looking at the storm. The big thing I'd like to see improved on over the course of this past week is the rebounding, but 
that's been an issue that the Storm team has needed to correct all year, and they haven't been able to do so. So I won't get my my hopes too high, but we'll see. Speaking of not getting our hopes too high, uh, our Sounders, our Sounders, you know, after starting off really, really hot in the beginning of the season, have just kind of been mediocre, and as the children say, mid, uh, since the month of May started, really, and. You know, they've entered a new competition with the League's Cup here um, this past weekend uh, and will take place over the next few games that they're playing. So they've, they've got a little bit of a break in terms of MLS regular season play. Um, and their fortunes in League's Cup play hasn't, haven't been great to start off. So um, their first match that we're going to look at, July 15th versus FC Dallas here at home. This game was kind of viewed by some as a must-win situation considering the fact that you know, we're getting closer and closer to the MLS playoffs and seating is going to be huge. You know, obviously you'd like to, for people to come into your home building. You don't necessarily want to go on the road in the playoffs. I mean, if you're a good road team, sure. But the Sounders got the lead in this match. And then right before halftime, they gave up a sloppy, just kind of a lackadaisical goal um, to FC Dallas, letting a run in just clear through the middle of their defensive line. Um, and no one scored in that second half. So our player of the match, defender Nuhu, uh, we look to this photo of the match here by Brian Saldana, a 7.5 match rating and 89% passing percentage, 13 passes into the final third, one clearance and two interceptions on the match there. So nice defensive effort by Nuhu, who wasn't actually responsible uh, for the reason that that defender got in. It was the two center backs, uh, Yamar and I believe it was Jackson Reagan in the back there as well, who just came up into the play for some reason, which normally center backs don't do. Um, and FC Dallas was able to get in behind. Perfect ball in for the header. And just like that, this match was tied. So um, we go from that disappointment to over to the League's Cup here, where the Sounders begin their campaign in the League's Cup, trying to win new hardware. They've said that they're going to put their all into this and try to bring more trophies back to the club. And if this match was any indication on how things are going to go, it uh, doesn't look great. doesn't look great. Uh, the Sounders would lose this one on Saturday on July 22nd at Real Salt Lake 0-3. to As you know, with shutouts like this, we don't have a player of the match, which is horrid. Um, all of those goals actually came in the second half for RSL. So the first half looked fine, but the Sounders were not able to generate chances hardly at all um, in this match here as we go to this one. Uh, they only had seven shots. None of them really were able to threaten much at all, really. RSL took 19 shots, which if you're not really a big soccer person and you're just waiting for me to get to the next segment, that's, that's a lot. That's not great to give up. We go down to the stats, yeah. <clears throat> possession, I mean, I don't really ever take too much stock into possession. But RSL had 19 shots and two big chances and somehow missed both of them. <laughs> so uh, this means that RSL really kind of scored three times on goals that they arguably shouldn't have. Uh, if we try to find the expected goals here, we go to all statistics. Yeah, they had eight shots on target. The Sounders had one. <laughs> it's horrible. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so we look here. To this and that FC Dallas one, I don't necessarily think that you could consider it must win, sure, but there's still some matches to be played prior to um, 
the end of the MLS regular season. If you're going to argue about seeding, then the ones in May and June should have been must win because the Sounders had a great opportunity to build their lead atop the Western Conference that they were able to keep for so long because of how good they did in the beginning of the season. Um, and they didn't do that. You know, in the League's Cup now, new tournament, kind of refresh, you're mostly healthy. Um, and then you're not, as we do have some injury-related news. Uh, but you put up that sort of performance and now you're going to play a Monterey side uh, in your next match uh, of this tournament who is listed as one of the best teams in this tournament. So Seattle also has not won in RSL in 10 years. Not good. So anyway, we move over to injury related news news here on the 22nd uh, at halftime of this match. Midfielder Christian Roldan, as you can see here in this photo by Brian Saldana was taken out of the game at halftime in concussion protocol, which is horrible considering that Christian missed a bunch of action already this season due to a concussion that he suffered earlier in the year. So not good. Um, you're losing one of the uh, leaders of this team. Excuse me. You're losing one of the best uh, defense uh, mid midfielders on this team um, for who knows how long, considering that we didn't know for certain how long that Christian would be out. Uh, until they finally came back in the double header match uh, against the Timbers uh, here in Seattle. So it's uh, not great. And then also the reason uh, the Sounders were also without Nico Ladero in this match on the 22nd against Real Salt Lake, as he stayed in Seattle due to feeling some right adductor pain late in the week. Uh, the move to keep him there was mainly precautionary, and the injury itself is not expected to be long term. So you've got. Ah, shoot, let's actually look here. Let's instead of me just guessing, let's look at how much uh, that these Sounders have to do um, in terms of you know what what's going on before we get to the playoffs. Yeah, their last match of the regular season is September twentieth. Um, you know, after Monterey, uh, their next match is August twentieth um, versus Atlanta United. You get Minnesota, Austin, Portland, Dallas, Colorado. Mm. something's got to change internally. I know that after the RSL loss, head coach Brian Schmetzer said that we'll see a different team on Sunday against Monterey. I don't know if that'll be the case necessarily um, because I know after some losses at home here and disappointing ones, Brian Schmetzer has said that the team is motivated to get better and yet we still sit here kind of cluttering along. Um, things are getting serious. You know, this League's Cup, I'm not too concerned about the League's Cup. Yes, I know you want to win every trophy um, and be competitive, but... I'm more focused on the MLS playoffs right now after you broke your streak of making them every year last season. And now technically you should be safe from missing out on them entirely. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be the case considering how you've been lately, you know? So uh, it's a big opportunity here. You're going to have to turn it around. You'd like to get started and use this next match against Monterey to kind of bring yourself back into the thick of things. But if we're going by how trends have been, it's no good. It's no good. Uh, we look ahead here to the next match that the Sounders play July 30th versus Monterey. It's a 6 p.m. Pacific time start here at Lumen Field in the city of Seattle. Uh, Monterey has been listed as one of the best teams and best clubs in this tournament. So it's not going to be exactly a pushover, a uh, big opportunity for the Sounders to rebound. No, they're going to have to come for this ready to battle and really looking to turn things around. Uh, if we want to know the standings for the Sounders in terms of how they've been doing, um, 
in MLS regular season play. They ended their regular season and gone into the League's Cup here with a 10-win, 8-loss, 6-draw record, good for 36 points, and 4th in the Western Conference, 10th in the league overall. Safe to say that any hope of um, Supporter Shield is done and cooked. So we get over here to Kraken-related news, and one nice, big, shiny piece of news for you uh, when it comes to our Kraken uh, on the 21st. First, the team signed defenseman Vince Dunn to a four-year, $7.35 million AAV deal. Uh, Dunn, at 26 years old, will be signed with the Kraken through his year 30 season, which is going to um, is largely conceived, uh, not conceived, largely perceived as the prime years um, of his career. Uh, Dunn... Mm, Dunn won the Pete Muldoon Award as the Kraken's most valuable player after finishing the 2022-23 season with 64 points, 14 goals, 50 assists, and 81 regular season games, setting career highs um, in nearly every offensive category, whether that be goals, assists, points, points per game, even strength goals, even strength points, uh, and power play points as well. His 50 assists... Um, where to go? Led the Kraken uh, and ranked second on Seattle's roster in even strength points and power play points. Uh, he was tied there. Um, Dunn finished the season this past year, ranking 10th amongst all NHL defensemen in goals, which he was tied for assists and points. He ranked second among NHL blue liners in both even strength goals and even strength points. It had seven points, one goal, and six assists um, in 14 playoff games uh, with the Kraken, matching his postseason career high in assists. So um, very big news there for the Kraken to be able to lock up Dunn. That was kind of their top priority, so to say, when it came to this offseason. Uh, we'll look a little bit here into the deal for Dunn, which is interesting because he signed this big deal uh it's very important it's a, a value of twenty nine million four hundred thousand dollars it's the largest aav that ron francis has given out to a player in his career as a general manager that dates back to his time with the carolina hurricanes and the largest cap percentage um that he's given away in a contract at 8.8 percent .8 of the team salary cap um so yes the seven million three hundred fifty seven seven million seven huh? 7350000 AAV. Um, that's the AAV if you were to split it that way. Uh, but the base salary, we're going to go down it for year one. Year one base salary is $9 million. Year two is $8 million. Uh, and then year three, $7 million. And then the last year, 2026, 27 is a $5,400,000. Now, something that's interesting um, is that next year, Vincent has a full no-trade clause. Um, there are no signing bonuses as well throughout this course of this deal. He has a full no-trade clause next year, and then the last two years of the deal, he has a medium, uh, well, yes, uh, no-trade clause where he can't be traded to 16 teams, um, which is very interesting. But So that deal is all said and done. Glad that that Done, huh? Uh, glad to see that all finished up. Um, and I know that there was some talk about this being an overpay, but one, taking into account that the salary cap will go up in the next few years and the NHL is mitigates that a little bit. And two, the fact that this was less than was actually predicted, um, and the fact and how valued valuable done is uh in terms of his offensive production um as a defender you know because i know there's a lot of look at his offense but his defensive numbers were great too and his underlying numbers 
Oh, thank you, Allison Lucan. Um, and how valuable he is to that first defensive pairing with Adam Larson. Um, I, I think it's a great deal. Uh, keeps him through his prime. And if he's able to, you know, put up great numbers again, it sets him up for another big payday when he turns 30. So anyway, we move over here to the OL rain. And while they are also in a little bit of a break, kind of like the Sounders, um, they're in it for different reasons. The FIFA Women's World Cup is underway. There are more matches tonight. My Philippines play tonight at 10.30 p.m., so that'll be great. I have to stay up longer. Um, but the Reign have an NWSL record eight players in the World Cup, which is the most of any club um, in the entire league. Uh, that was seven before July 17th when midfielder Angelina was named to the Brazil Women's National Team World Cup roster as an injury replacement player. So um, the Brazil roster had been set, but play, the World Cup teams can make an injury replacement if a, t a player uh, goes down with an injury. They can make that swap. And Angelina joins uh, the roster there. She... Brazil played their first match of the World Cup last night. And well, last night, more like early morning. It started at four o'clock in the morning here, Pacific time. And Angelina did not see any action. So unfortunate there. But we look at it here on uh, this banner here. Um, Jordan Haitama and Quinn both started for Team Canada in their first match of the World Cup. Uh, Quinn was actually named as the player of the match uh, for Canada's draw there with Nigeria. Um, Canada had a great chance to go ahead there with a penalty kick by Christine Sinclair, but it was stopped by the Nigeria goalkeeper. It was huge, great, great stop. Um, but so Canada draw in that one. Um, and then in Team USA start, uh, both Megan Rapino, well, not both, uh, Megan Rapino, Rose Lavelle, and Sofia Huerta all uh, got some minutes in the uh, USA's win over Vietnam, a 3-0 win uh, to get things started for them. Their next match is on Wednesday. So very cool to see all of these rain players taking part in it, but it does mean that the, the team is without a lot of talent um, on the regular season side of things, which gets kicked back off uh, on July 28th. So the rain will get back into action as the World Cup continues on July 28th. Uh, this is a Challenge Cup match, as you can see by the logo on the right there. July 28th, hosting the San Diego Wave FC, who are also hurt uh, by the World Cup here as are without Alex Morgan. Alex Morgan is the only player for San Diego to have scored against the rain in the franchise's existence. So, well, Knock on wood. We'll see about that. The Reign sit at a seven-win, five-loss, three-draw record on the NWSL regular season to this point, uh, which is fourth in the league table with 24 points. But we will mention, since this is a Challenge Cup match, the Reign sit at first in the West, uh, the Western Division of the Challenge Cup with 10 points. And they've got a comfortable lead up there, but they'd like to continue to grow it uh, because the prize pool money, if the Reign win the Challenge Cup, uh, has increased every year. So hoping for that. Um, we will wrap up the show here. Uh, I know that normally we'll start of the week, but with the way that things have gone on, it isn't a lot, you know, dealing with the Twitter thing. I mean, we'll check on air here. We'll see if it's there. Oh, it's not Twitter anymore. It's X. Um, oh, we might be back, folks. We might, we might be back. You're seeing this on camera, and it says, hmm, hmm, we might be back. Anyway, I don't know, man. It's been a lot. It's, you know, truth, truth be told, since All-Star Week, 
which started on Thursday of that day because we had the HBC Swingman Classic on Thursday at UW, which Cuddy was at. Everybody appreciate Cuddy behind the camera for making making me look somewhat okay here in my my face in this pale pale look. Um, started on Thursday. And even then, the preparation was before that. We had the takeover on Friday before the Swingman, which was really cool, uh, on Pier 62, I believe it was. Uh, and then you go through all of All-Star Week, which was a lot. Two days off, which really wasn't two days off because we then had a 10-game homestand right after that, and that just ended yesterday. So it's been a lot. So I appreciate you know you that tuned in today um, and all the folks on Twitter who supported it because I tweeted that out at like, I woke up at like 6 o'clock and tweeted out at 7 o'clock as I was freaking out. Um, and the support on my personal Twitter was huge, you know, for that. If we look here at me tweeting that, that got, it's up to 6,000 views, which <laughs> I didn't expect. Uh, 15 retweets, 11 quote tweets, 39 likes. I, so much love, guys. I appreciate that. It's, it's you know, Twitter is its own discussion. We're not going to talk about it. Uh, I just want to say thank you, not only for supporting CSS, but all the coverage that we did here in Converge with All-Star Week that we do with the Mariners and with all, with all our sports here in the city. You know, we put a lot of effort into it, but we love this city and we love what we do here. So anyway, I don't want to sit here and blabber at you, sit here and cry, but we'll put that up there. CSS website has all the ways that you can find us. So it's really easy. CirclingSaddleSports.com. We've got the domain. Thank God. Um, but anyway, that'll be it. We'll see you next Monday. We'll be in the month. Not yet. Next Monday is August 31st, July 31st. Um, and the trade deadline will be the very next day in Major League Baseball. So we'll see. The Mariners have a big stretch here. The Storm are looking to snap their nine-game winning streak, which I, I really hope that they're able to do that because things have been tough for them. Um, but nine-game winning streak there, I mean losing streak. The Sounders have a big Leagues Cup match against Monterey here at home. The Kraken kind of continued their offseason. The Seahawks as well. Um, the Rain will get back to regular season action as the Women World's Cup, Women's World Cup continues. Till I see you next week. Till I see you at the end of July. Take care of yourselves. Be well and do whatever you can to have a great day. I appreciate you. Thank you. Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.